Welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Dennis Wolf. It is just a gorgeous day again here in the Northeast. Unfortunately, though, it seems like we've got a lot of storms that have hit uh, all over the U.S., mostly on the Southeast and Northeast. But, you know, I wish everybody good and we pray for everybody who's gotten hit. Uh, We actually had a massive tree come down on one of our buildings. Fortunately, uh, dogs are all fine. Uh, It's a minor thing, but otherwise uh, all good. And then, of course, we want to make sure we give our dogs the best. And I have some things I wanted to discuss today about how to get your dog through thunderstorm anxiety or some of the other stressors and different opportunities for you that uh, that you can do at home, that you can start working on now to help your dog when you do have that kind of an issue. So we just came off of the July 4th holiday, and we know living in the U.S. and living especially on the East Coast or the southern border, we tend to have a lot of um, issues with uh, different things ranging from tornadoes to thunderstorms to all kinds of uh, weather occurrences. And, you know, Mother Nature sometimes, I think, uh, gets a good laugh on us and sometimes it's not so funny, and we have people who are injured very seriously or, or worse. Um, but when you have your dog, um, even if it's the best dog in the world, and you say, well, you know, my dog is so good, he's so friendly, um, you know, and uh, you have everything set up, um, you know, to, to be right, to do things right. And um, when you do that, And you then say to yourself, self, what can I do more to prepare? Because that's really what it is. You know, you remember the Boy Scout motto, right? Be prepared. Um, Being prepared is different than being fearful of something happening. Being prepared is having a plan or an idea of what you should do before something happens. For instance, there's a fire, God forbid, in the room in in a house. Well, it would have been a great idea for you to, even though chances of it were minute, it would have been a great idea for you to have a fire extinguisher, uh, to have a plan that if something happens, this is our exit route. But this is why very often, unfortunately, tragically, people and animals are killed because we don't prepare ahead of time for whatever the natural disaster is. One of the things that you should a hundred percent do. And people are going to argue and say, oh, I don't like that. But you need to do it is get your dog crate trained. Now, it doesn't mean your dog has to live in the crate. Uh, Crate training, in my opinion, is a necessary evil. If, God forbid, you have a fire and somebody comes and takes your dog and they put the dog in a crate and the dog goes ballistic or bites them because it won't go into the crate, You have a bigger problem than you would have if you had a dog who was like, oh, okay, I'll go into the crate. It's fine. Sometimes the dogs, like in a medical emergency, God forbid your dog gets hurt or injured um, or sick and has to be in the vet's office in a crate. God forbid you have to transport that dog and maybe there's another dog that you have to transport who's not good with dogs. Maybe your dog's not good with other dogs. The crate is an invaluable experience for dogs. The the easiest way to do it is obviously starting when they're younger and just letting them maybe eat their dinner in there, assuming we don't have a dog who's 
protective or possessive over areas. But in that case, they will go into the crate. They just won't maybe come out. Um, but getting your dog comfortable being in a crate, being in a situation where he has to basically kind of stay calm in an enclosure is huge, even for a transport. And anybody who's rescued a dog that came on transport, the dog's already been in a crate. And if the dog has been in a crate, it may have had a very good experience prior. It may have had a very bad experience prior. You want to make it fun. Everything with animals and children should be based on fun, enjoyment, and doing things that you would like to do. So then the animal wants to do it or the child wants to do it as well. It's almost like reverse psychology. So how do you crate train? Well, if it's a puppy, chances are it's already been in some kind of a little pen. So it's a pretty easy transition to take a puppy, put it in the crate, put a cookie in there. It's totally fine. Don't wait until the puppy is crying or whining or jumping or or anxious. Give the puppy something good in there. Throw a piece of chicken in there or whatever your dog likes to eat. A little freeze-dried liver. Whatever it is that you want. So you're making it an enjoyable time. And don't close the door the first few times you put the puppy in there. Let him go in, let him come out. Let him go in, let him come out. You want to do things like we always talk about in threes. Sets of three, which is what I call my rule of threes, is how we learn things. Everything in life that we learn that becomes a habit starts with three. The repetition of three is very important because otherwise it's like when you're a mailman or UPS or FedEx or Amazon, which, you know, Amazon's actually the toughest because it's not typically the same person. So your dog doesn't get that rapport or that relationship with the person who's either, you know, from FedEx, UPS or whatever. So now it's like anyone. But now do we want to teach the dog not to bark or do we want to just teach him to bark a couple of times to let us know that someone's there? The best alarm system in the world is not from any of the companies that advertise. The best alarm system in the world is a barking dog, even if it's not a vicious dog, it's not a large dog. But the fact that a dog is barking calls attention to the person being there. And it, people, if they have a choice, would prefer most, most criminals, unless they're some kind of sociopathic, you know, serial killers, typically they don't want anyone to see, right? You don't want somebody seeing you committing the crime. That's the thrill for them is the being hidden and not being able to be found out. So if you have a UPS, FedEx, whatever person, it's great to let the dog kind of meet the person and know that that person isn't going to hurt anybody. But more importantly is just teaching your dog that whatever you say goes. In other words, your dog learns that no matter who comes up, if you check it out and you walk away, that you have actually taught him in that moment that you checked it out, it's all good, you don't need to do anything. And that's what a lot of it is with the same thing with the crate, is don't make a big deal of it, but make it fun. So toss a cookie in, let him find it. Even if he doesn't go into it right away, just let him go in there, he'll find it. He's got a nose, he'll find it. So if you have the puppy that goes into the crate, goes and eats a cookie, and then he may decide 
well, let me go into the crate and see if every time I go in, maybe I'll get something. And you'll have him going in in and out on his own. The next step then is to close the door, but not lock it. Just close it three times, open, close, open, close, open, close. And then tell him, okay, to come out. And he comes out. And then the next thing is to lock the door, stay in the room, and then go to the next step. You know, do that three times. The next step would be walking away, but staying at the other side of the room. And even if you only get, you know, five seconds or whatever, keep it short so that you're teaching him. And then you can always build up on timing. It's like learning the right style of running or skating. But then you have to go after the initial time when you um, actually figure it out, then you're working on keeping the longevity or keeping yourself able to stretch out a little bit more for endurance than you were before. So it's the same thing with the, with doing that with the crate. And then you can start working on the timing and stretching it out, extending it out. But that's a really great step. So there's your crate situation. So do teach your dog that a crate is not a bad place. Don't leave a minute 24-7. Don't leave a minute 23 and 1. But just make sure that your dog is not freaking out in a crate because God forbid he ever needs to be in a crate, which he probably will be at some point in his life. We don't want him to have a bad experience and be stressed. We want it to be a place of comfort and a place of security so that he starts learning that, oh, okay, I don't really have to worry about that because I'll come out. I don't need to be in charge of whatever it is. I'm just going to be a good dog. I'm just going to hang out and see what's going on around me. So that's with the crate. The second thing that you should be getting dogs used to is a muzzle. Yes, a muzzle. I know you've got the best dog in the world. I had to teach Wyatt and Savannah and Wispa and Bruiser and all of my dogs also how to have a muzzle on. Now, they didn't fight me a lot because obviously they're not going to be fighting me um, with, you know, with anything because they're the best dogs in the world. But again, it's also something that, you know, basically if you're looking at it from a dog's perspective, just coming at the dog with a muzzle, it's like if somebody were putting a catcher's mask on your face, but you didn't understand why they were doing that to you, right? So, We want the dog to get used to that new pattern behavior where the dog is actually, you know, doing what it's doing and then learning it from people he trusts. So then you stretch that out, extend that outward. And now after he's muzzle trained with you and you're only leaving it on, you know, a minute or so, you don't need to put it on. You can leave it on for five minutes. doesn't need to be longer than that. But it's basically the action of getting the dog to understand that somebody is going to come over him, is going to put something on his face, like a Halloween mask, if you would, and then the person's going to step away and he's okay. Doing that, although you wouldn't necessarily use that for thunderstorm anxiety or anything like that, it is helpful because the dog starts learning to trust somebody coming over his face. Now, if you live with other people, if you have a family and the dog is much better with one person than with the others, have the person who's the most trusted by the dog do the crate, the muzzle, and the other things I'm going to give you for exercises. Because we want to start with a position of strength, not weakness. 
So you can start with that person, then you can go to the next person. And I wouldn't necessarily have children doing it. I don't trust kids around dogs. I trust dogs more around kids than I do kids around dogs. But again, you're helping the dog by giving him confidence in a scary situation. So when I just had this happen where the tree landed on my carriage house, um, I had dogs and a couple of dogs playing in there. Thankfully, they're pretty much all okay. Um, it's an incredibly well-built structure and a 100,000-pound tree, according to the tree guy. But when we took the dogs, the firefighters were actually picking the dogs up and carrying them out. These are big, burly firefighters in the dark in the middle of a storm. Not one dog turned around to try to hurt them. Not one dog grumbled. Um, there were actually a few up there playing. Um, everybody was fine. And they allowed these, you know, one dog was larger. So there were two firefighters carrying him down the steps in the dark, in the rain. Um, so the reason that that wasn't a problem for us is that all these dogs, since they're little, have been used to being picked up or inappropriately lifted one side, the other side, front side, back side, whatever, so that they're used to being handled by a lot of people and they're used to being off balance and they're used to loud noises. So when 15 burly firefighters were up there, the dogs didn't even bark. They were just like, okay, mom's up there, uh, my friend's up there, and we're all good. It's just a different thing. So just imagine if you've got a dog who's not good with people and you throw those same situations and circumstances where perhaps the dog now all of a sudden, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, is, is okay, um, you know, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, you can, uh, uh, you know, hopefully get them um, working on different things that perhaps like, well, we talked about, you know, doing that. And another thing is, is getting dogs lifted. So the crate, the muzzle, lifting them. So this doesn't mean you're going to have a child do it, but when you're in an emergency and we all have seen these viral videos where there's some, you know, dog who's stuck in the, in the water and, you know, the, the people are grabbing at whatever they can, an ear, a neck, a, a paw, whatever's up there. Um, the best thing to do is just kind of, I don't want you to lift, you know, a hundred pound dog up by its leg, but see if you put a little pressure on different parts of the body, um, not in any way to injure the dog, but to get the dog used to the fact that you can pick them up any way. Because imagine if the now the head and the neck and the paws are up against a boat and somebody's trying to rescue a dog or a firefighter's trying to get a dog out of a an area that has collapsed on it, if the dog is used to having pressure put on its legs, like maybe being pulled on a little bit in this way or that, you have a much better chance that that dog is, you know, going to be um, okay and not so reticent or, or anxious to have somebody grab onto him or her. So that's going to be another really important part of this. Now, next thing is get your dog used to having a blanket over his head. I know it sounds crazy, but if there's a fire, God forbid, or if the dog is in danger, um, or if there's something we don't want, especially if you've got a dog who's aggressive, 
get the dog used to having, like, you can just take a nice little fleece, you know, throw like a little thing that you'd buy at the store for like 10 bucks, um, try it with a little heavier blanket and just put that over. Don't like just toss it over them to f- make them fearful, but work on that to get them used to having their body and their head and their eyes covered because in an emergency that might be required. So basically think about anything and everything that could be a problem. Next week, I'm going to hopefully, or the following week, talk about CBD products. So you definitely uh, want to be aware of, of what those things are because they're, they're definitely not all created equally at all. Um, there are some that are really not good at all, and there are a few that are exceptional. So if you're going to spend the money, let's get the good ones. Uh, but we're not, we don't need those in an emergency either right now. What we do need to do is to continue on and explain to everybody why these dogs who are really good dogs can become aggressive during an emergency or can become anxious. So go back to the fireworks and the storm and all that. If you have fireworks, the dogs are not only reacting, and storms as well, not only reacting to the sound but to the vibration. Vibration is a very important part of life. Um, and vibrations are life, basically, um, other than a shock collar, which, uh, as you all know, I'm adamantly against. I think that's like trying to, you know, shoot somebody in an argument because you're not winning. You, you should not ever have to intimidate a dog, especially a fearful or anxious dog. So we don't want to yell at the dog if he's afraid of, an, you know, any kind of event, if it's fireworks or um, any kind of storm or tornado or wind or earthquake, we don't want to further exacerbate or, or, or create more problems um, in that situation. What we do want to do is calm the dog, get the dog to settle, and obviously we're not going to be able to give the dog a ton of, uh, you know, like medication or something that's going to be real quick acting, although there is one particular product that definitely is quicker acting than the others that we've seen. But the idea being you shouldn't have to rely on medication. You should rely on your your training, rely on what you've taught the dog along that time limit where, you know, what have you done with the dog? Have you been sure to, um, you know, keep the dog used to having a crate and being conf- confirmed or confined or, or, you know, tied down? Another thing, a tether is very important. So if you have a dog perhaps in a yard and you don't have a fence or if your fencing was compromised, you should probably have a tether where you have the leash and you teach the dog that it doesn't try to chew through the leash because if a firefighter finds a dog or if an emergency personnel, if somebody finds a dog and you, you know, they they have a leash and the dog chews the, the leash again, Obviously, that's not cool, so we want to make sure that we also do teach the dog how to be on a leash, um, maybe perhaps tied to something. And please don't tie the dog onto a telephone pole and leave for three hours. That's not what I'm talking about. But you really do want to help that dog so that the dog at least is comfortable with the procedure or the protocol, if not for the location. Now, how do you kind of do this? Well, I'm an AKC, CGC, CGC Urban, CGC Advanced, and Star Puppy and Trick Dog 
evaluators. So I can do that, all of those. And it's an interesting thing because it's not really difficult at all, but many dogs cannot do a lot of these skills. The most important thing that you can do is prepare your children and your family members and your pup to do certain things and to know what to do in an emergency. The issue is they don't understand our language. So if the dog isn't understanding the emergent, you know, part of this whole situation, then at least he can understand that this is what we do and it's okay to do that. So what exactly can you do and how long does it take? Well, it's going to depend on the dog, the individual dog. It's going to depend on how many times you're doing it. It's going to depend on what the breeder, if it's a grand champion or a good show line, what the breeder did. If you got a mixed breed designer dog, it's going to be whatever the puppy mill or backyard breeder did. So um, we see a lot of times with people, especially in the South and the Midwest, they just let the dogs run on a farm and people say, oh my God, that's so great. Dog's never been in a cage. It just runs runs free. Yeah, so do feral dogs. So it's not really a good idea to allow your dog to run free for the first, you know, eight or 12 weeks, especially with all the diseases out there. It's really not a great idea. And if the dog is allowed to run around, then at least if he's running around, the very least that we should do is make sure that he knows what to do if um, something happens. What do you do if a fox comes up or if an animal tries to get to your dog? What do you do? I mean, is your dog going to run after him and follow the person or follow the animal and try to hurt it and maybe get killed in the process? Or is it better to teach the dog not to do that and just to kind of go back to the house or go back and find a person and hang with a person, right? So obviously the second choice, much, much better choice than the first choice. So how do we do that? Well, start getting people, neighbors or friends or family members who come over and say, hey, would you mind holding my dog? You can try it in the house. But you also should try it outside in the house, like in your yard, in front yard, backyard, down the road, and have somebody else, and not always the same person, because dogs will get used to that, but have maybe your neighbor who has a dog, have them do it for you, you can do it for them. And just say, hey, I'm going to walk away for five minutes, or three minutes is what's in the uh, CGC, but even for five minutes, oh, five minutes, can you just hold the dog? And... Don't pet the dog unless he's calm. If he's calm, he can be standing, sitting, lying down. He doesn't have to do a particular body position. Thankfully, they changed that. But the dog really needs to learn that he's okay. I mean, even service dogs, even service dogs occasionally are going to need somebody else to hold them. What happens if, you know, let's say, God forbid, your service dog is with you um, well, and you have a seizure or that's why you had the dog, and if or you fall, and now they have to get you out of there, and they need to move the dog. So if the dog has never been with anybody but you, he's going to be much more nervous, much more anxious, and unfortunately, there's a good chance that the dog is going to have behavioral issues or temperament issues or um, anxiety or something going on because he's not sure and he doesn't want to be separated, it's separation anxiety, but he's not sure what's happening, 
And their dogs in situations like that can, not will, but can sometimes become aggressive. They can sometimes do things that are very uncharacteristic. So if you, God forbid, are in trouble and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody comes into the house and the dog is guarding your body, that's not too cool. So, um, you know, it's fine. Um, So basically, whatever it is that you guys think that might come up in your situation, in your personal setup, where, you know, if you live on a farm, maybe there might be a need to, let's say if there's snakes, expose the dog to rubber snakes, teach him to walk away from it. Um, Don't let the dog have a situation where it doesn't know what you want it to do. It's much, much better, much much easier if you're allowed uh, the dog to kind of experience that firsthand. So let the dog first know that it's okay because you're there and you're making sure that the dog understands that it's okay where he is. And the second part is make sure that a stranger can hold the dog for at least a few minutes, three to five minutes, and consider getting involved in some kind of a little walking group where your dog can get more experience with other dogs and other people, and then do that for each other because it's really important part. It's like having a fire extinguisher in, in a house, in a kitchen. I mean, we wouldn't really think like, oh, it's not important for me to have a fire extinguisher. Of course it's important for you to have a fire extinguisher. So we want to prepare because for warned is forearmed, right? So if you know ahead of time that something is possible, then preparing for it is a great way to make sure that you actually are going to survive that time and not be stressed out and not have your dog stressed out. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with From Shelter Dog to Service Dog. So we'll see you in a moment. Stay tuned. And we're going to talk about service dog training today. We are going to discuss a little bit where we are in um, mentally, psychologically, however we want to say, when we when we have a service dog. And what I've been hearing a lot lately since we're starting to get back into the school year is there seem to be a lot of school districts who do not understand that a service dog is a right under the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990. And it is not always in need to be part of uh, your IEP for the child. So you definitely need, and we're going to go through this, we have um, a great website I'll be announcing in the next couple of weeks. If you do have a problem, reach out to us, reach out to me. Uh, you can contact me at, uh, uh, on the, uh, through the BBS website. Uh, you can also reach out to us at Info, I-N-F-O, at United, the letter K, the number nine, pros.com, or better yet, is United, the letter K, the number nine, pros, at gmail.com. So United K, nine, pros, at gmail.com is going to be the best one. Uh, And we'll be happy to help you. We can 
definitely, definitely give you some good referrals. Um, it's just very frustrating when you have a child who's already de- dealing with a disability and a family who's already dealing with the child's disability, and you have people who are bullying you from a school district that's inept. And it's just very sad, but it's illegal. And yes, you can sue them and all. We always advise people to try to be a little bit more genteel, um, try to do it the nice way first. But if they're violating your rights, like we have one young lady who um, is wonderful and is a totally different person with her service dog that she got from us at Merlin's Kids, the dog is doing so much for her constantly that she's now able to do things she wasn't able to do prior. Well, the school board decided, well, actually not even the whole board. It was the one inept, I call them dolt, D-O-L-T, dolt, who is violating this child's rights and has prevented the child from taking the service dog into school. And with COVID and all the situations we've had throughout the last year, year and a half now, it's... I think even more important that we listen to the kids. We listen to what they're going through. We have children who did not have social anxiety who do now. We have children who are becoming germaphobes, which I'm a happy adult germaphobe, but children should not be germaphobes. They should be cautious and wash their hands and such, but they shouldn't be so neurotic about things that that they become anxious and unwilling or, or unable to go out into public. Now, this young lady had many, many issues, many medical issues, and um, the dog is helping her in so many different ways, but because school, this dolt at the school uh, decided unilaterally that she didn't need the service dog. Apparently, she's gone for not only her bachelor's in idiocy and teaching, but she's also gone for her Ph.D., her medical degree, her DO, and everything else um, in order to make these unilateral medical decisions against the uh, desire and the advice of medical personnel, doctors. So if you have something like that where the dog um, is not being allowed in, provided that it is an actual service dog, it is a dog that has been trained, I, I don't want to say professionally, but ha- because there are so many people, local dog trainers, local yokel people who have no clue of what to do, and they claim to train it and because they, they have no money and they're no clients, so they decide they're going to just do that. There, there are no um, real qualifications, but you know if your dog knows what to do, if your dog is task-trained, And the dog is very well behaved and is a true service dog, can go anywhere, can be anywhere. Um, If it's a dog that should be in the school with your child and you can uh, explain to the school board that why this dog needs to go and you know what you have to answer? Two very simple questions. Yes, it's those same two ADA questions. Just remember, you do not have to exercise your rights under the 504 plan or your IEP, you can actually say, I don't wish to exercise my rights under or her requirements under the 504 plan or the IEP. I wish to exercise 
the right of my child to have her service dog or his service dog in school based on his ADA rights. Now, every state is a bit different, but the federal law will always supersede state law, and state law supersedes local law, and local law can be changed. And if your school district stupidly, and there's no other nice way to say it, stupidly says, oh, well, you know, we feel that we have provided adequately for the child. Okay, you feel that you have provided, okay, and you are a medical doctor or a psychiatrist, which is a medical doctor as well, or a psychologist with a PhD. Oh, you don't have those. Okay, guess what? If you don't, then you cannot supersede or trump the the recommendations or requirements that are put in place by a person who has a medical degree and ha- is a treating physician or treating psychiatrist or psychologist for your child. So you do not have to put up with that. You make sure you reach out to us. If it's something really urgent, I'm also happy to give you the phone number, 855-449-9288, basically for canine pros. So if you or Hi Wyatt is the other one, 855-HI-WYATT, 449-9288. So you can call us and we'll help you, but there is in each state, there's a state bar and there's also a disabilities division. Sometimes you can just contact the disabilities division of your state or of your county even, and you can see what is uh, required and what help and assistance they can provide for you. What you don't want to do is give the school or in any kind of written or, or oral form, you don't really want to give the school a lot of information. It's those two questions. Yes, my child requires the service dog because of a disability, right? So is this a service dog required because of a disability? Yes. What tasks is the dog trained to perform or what tasks or jobs is the dog trained to perform? You do not have to tell a diagnosis. As a matter of fact, you should not. That's your business, not their business. You would say the dog is trained to provide depressure therapy. The dog is also trained to alert to seizures, and the dogs also help in mobility assistance. And now you've told the three tasks or the one task or the five tasks that the dog does, and that dog is legally allowed to be in that building. The only thing they can require typically is rabies vaccination. They cannot require your dog is spayed or neutered. They cannot require that you give certain vaccinations. We had one board in Texas that insisted on a Lyme vaccine. We were laughing. We said, there hasn't been a case of Lyme disease in Texas probably ever. Why would we give the dog a Lyme vaccine? Well, that's what the school board requires. Well, it turned out that the school board (laughs) found something in another state, I think it was Massachusetts, that, and again, that's also illegal, and they looked at the requirements for vaccinations in that area, and they basically pirated and plagiarized an entire set of rules. We looked it up, searched it out, found that, and we called them on it. And we called them out on it. And then the funny part was that after that was done and after they sent that out, two years later, it was overturned. 
So the entire thing they quoted wasn't even current. And they had a lot of issues, and we pretty much terrorized them with the truth. And they uh, they wound up uh, relenting, and of course, and the little girl goes to school with her beautifully trained Merlin's Kid Service Dog. So we are always happy to do that. Um, th- you have to understand that knowledge, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, but also that knowledge is power. And you know that you have rights for your child under the ADA. And even though you might be in school, the ADA is still a law that supersedes all other laws. Now, there are other situations with FHA, Fair Housing Act, or the ACAA, which is the Air Carrier Access Act, where there are different regulations because Believe it or not, it's pretty incredible. Do you know that if you go to the to a government building, to a town building, to the White House, to anything that's from the government, they do not have to acknowledge or follow it or adhere to the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990. So the federal and state and local governments do not have to allow you to have a service dog come in because they have exempted themselves, kind of like Congress exempted itself from being able to be sued personally or anything. It's pretty, pretty amazing what government has done and how government has protected itself from its own ineptitude. It's the same thing as there's a natural uh, immunity for the, um, the attorney general uh, but when the attorney general's office or the state files charges and you can't go after them personally, but you can still go after them for ethics violations. They still have to follow legal principles, but they don't have to be uh, adhering to any of the principles that you and I have to adhere to, which is bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre that the government doesn't have to follow its own rules. But we do. It's unbelievable. So if you feel that your rights are violated, either in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, or any other um, educational kind of uh, venue, you would definitely look at whatever the uh, district is, but they cannot supersede whatever you are um, finding on the ADA. So if you go on and do a little Google search or Bing or whatever you use, if you do a little search and in the search you say, you know, I want to look up ADA law, what it, where is my dog allowed to go? You'll see that the dog is not required to be allowed access to government buildings. And that's bizarre. Now, if it's a public school, that receives government funding, then they do have to adhere to ADA. If it's a private school that does not get government funding, then usually that is um, something that is, um, you know, a case-by-case basis depending on which state you're in. But for the most part, we all have to look at things and think of it as, okay, do I want to fight? Am I willing to fight? And what am I going to get out of this? So if you're supposed to go for one day somewhere, maybe it's not worth it. But if your child 
is in, let's say, high school and has two or three more years of high school and is not allowed to bring the service dog and the child can't even get to school without the service dog because of the anxiety or because of the physical need of the child. And, you know, people don't understand this, and I'll get to it in a moment, but having a service dog, when somebody with a true legitimate service dog from a reputable agency, and there aren't that many, but if there are plenty of good service dogs out there, if it's a legit service dog, and you are walking around with that dog because now you know that you are safe because that dog is going to take care of you, that does give you comfort. That does give you some level of emotional support, but it's not an emotional support dog. Make sure that you are very clear on that. When I'm walking around with the service dog, I feel more confident. I feel like, okay, I'm not going to, let's say, I'm not going to fall down or I'm not going to, let's say, I have a seizure. I'm not going to fall on the ground or if I, whatever it is, if I have a problem, I know that I'm going to know about it ahead of time. That in itself is really comforting. So when a child who has seizures or has mobility challenges has been just barely getting by and then having meltdowns when he or she gets home, but now the child is taking the service dog to school and the service dog is able to mitigate those issues so the child is able to function then the service dog absolutely is serving its own purpose. It's serving great purpose. What we want to make sure is that we don't allow people to take those rights from you because those rights are ones that are given to you by the Constitution. They're the ones that are given to you by law, and you should not allow anyone to take those rights from you because if you do allow somebody to take rights from you, where is it? It's going to be a slippery slope for the next thing that happens somewhere, right? So if you're able to uh, teach somebody else that, you know, hey, you're violating my rights, in a way, what then happens is we have a dog who is going to be waiting for a child who's not going to school we want to make sure that that dog can go with the child to the school and get the, um, the benefits and derive all the benefits from that dog for whatever time that child needs that dog to be with it or with him or her. So if you don't allow or if you say like, oh, well, I, don't, I didn't really think it matters. It's only, you know, for a year when the child's at school. But think about what's really happening, and this is the problem. You're, you're actually making it more difficult for the next person who needs a service dog. It's the same reason that we are always educating. We should be educating others as to how and where and what the rights are and what the laws are. Because if you have a service dog and you back down from the school or the board or the district, and you then, you know, decide like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to not do it. Now they have the precedent. So now the next person who needs a legitimate service dog for their child. So if that is happening, then um, we have, um, you know, a, a situation where they're going to be 
stuck doing something right now. They're stuck uh, because now they're they don't have the strength to fight. And now the district has won twice. Now it becomes their policy. And now you see what happens. It's a slippery slope. We don't want for people to get away with violating the rights of people with disabilities. And we should never, ever allow anybody, whoever it is, to take any of our rights away. So it's, I think, a very important part of our being good residents and citizens on this earth is be kind to each other, be helpful to each other, and try to help whoever it is, because you never know when you might need that help yourself, and it's important to make sure that, obviously, your rights are not violated, but it's also really important to know that no one else's rights are violated. And if you can help because you stand up to the bullying dolt who doesn't know, it's the person who is misguided or uninformed among us, if you're going to be the one who stands up to them, now the policy will be easier. It'll make it easier for the child, the next child or the next individual to go to school, to go to that restaurant, to go to that supermarket. And now that pe- that group of people or that individual will know that they cannot violate it and that there will be repercussions. Don't right away threaten that you're going to sue somebody. And please don't buy those ridiculous patches that say something to the effect of deny me access and you're going to get sued. Because that's if you if you put that patch on a Merlin's kid's dog or on a dog that I've personally trained beside, um, and you put a stupid patch like that, I, you're going to wor- have to worry about me more than you're going to have to worry about anybody else. You do not incite that. You do not act unprofessionally. It doesn't matter how unprofessionally the other person acts. You do not sink to that that depth. You are going to make sure that you are doing everything above board, doing everything as you should, and not allowing anybody to violate your rights or the rights of other people with disabilities. So we have a lot we covered today, really a lot that we covered. And we'll talk a little bit about health and nutrition in upcoming weeks. We're going to definitely talk about um, supplements that can help calm your dog. and we'll go more into that next week as well and the, and the following weeks. So hopefully everybody has a nice, healthy, happy weekend. It's a Friday. Enjoy yourselves. Just be kind, be happy, be considerate of people, and have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.